0: CDs, some audiobooks I've had that I either listened to or have already transferred to my iPod, so I don't need them. So if anything looks interesting, grab that. Uh, this is this, the intersection of science and faith has been a passion of mine for about 10 years. I've been giving talks on and off for about eight years. I have started speaking to a non Christian audience primarily, and so this will be different if you're used to going to church meetings. I'm not, you're not really going to get the assumption that I'm speaking to Christians. I'm going to, to me, the commonality here is people that are interested in seeking truth and realize science is just another way of getting at that. So what we might have in common is we have a journey to learn, a journey to grow, and an interest in science, and maybe we haven't come to the same conclusions, but at least we're willing to think about things. Um, I've uh, spoken to, a number of times to different audiences, and in my background, I have an undergrad degree in physics out of UCLA, so I tend to gravitate towards the physics aspect of things. Currently, I work in the entertainment industry, something completely unrelated. So, uh, so that's so that's the history. That's the history there. Um, take out there's some handouts in front of you. And grab the first one that says topic list. It looks like this, and this kind of gives you a roadmap of. of what this series will look like. Um, I'll turn the lights up. Let me turn the lights up brighter now since we don't have the overhead. Let me go ahead and turn these up all the way. The first five topics, this is a tour through Genesis chapter one, basically, from a scientific perspective. And um, you can see the, this walks through, we're gonna walk through the beginning of the universe, the sequence of everything that happens through the appearance of man. You see a line drawn underneath this, and when I go through these first five topics, I walk through several hit several different points that could easily be a jumping off point to go to go a whole another direction, and this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna do something a little differently in this next year. Is I'm gonna go on one of those jumping up points for the next segment of this. I want to talk about evolution and evolutionary theory. Look at the pros and cons of it, and do a really deep dive in that. If you wanted to make a case for evolution to a uh, to a an audience that's not very versed in it you could give some arguments that sound very compelling that are really garbage to somebody that knows what they're talking about if you want to make a case against evolution you can say some things that are very compelling but are garbage for anybody that really knows the theory i find you can't even get into this without teaching the theory first so my goal there would be to teach you about evolutionary theory okay now i understand it now i see what the main workings of it are, now let's look at the pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses of it. So that's what that'll be. Um, from here on in, it's kind of one-off topics or topics that are less grouped. Noah's Ark, w- May 5th, is the last topic where we're going through the book of Genesis. Then I'm switching kind of back into cosmology and some things that we'll actually run into today's to a certain degree, but even more so ne- next week, of the thought, could there be other universes Or could we live in a computer simulation? The rest of these are all fascinating topics, but they're not sort of part of the sequence. And we'll kind of wrap it up roughly late July. I might get a guest speaker in here or or something of that nature. Um, Please spread the word about this. It's always a challenge for me to get the word out. I also want to remind you guys, pardon me if I'm a little disheveled here, but in two weeks, our church is going to have this, these uh, deacon kind of luncheon things. So it'll be one service at 10 o'clock from 10 to 11. Then they're going to have these luncheon things where you meet people that are in your, in your different locations. And, that, and then from there, you can come into the class. So regardless if you're part of this church or not, there's a lot of people that just come to this class. If you just come to this class, you're part of things here. L.A. is very fragmented. Take the time. Go to one of these things that's in your area. If you don't have time to bring food, still go and meet, meet some people and get connected. And also, take a couple of the cards from my class. I will leave some of these. There, I think there's some on the back table, those science and faith cards. Bring a couple of those with you, and please talk my class up, because it's always a challenge to, to get the word out. So what we're going to do now, there's also a handout on this. And let me go ahead and dive in without the PowerPoint. And we should, if we can get it going... Midstream, great. If not, we'll will be okay. But I want to give an overview, just briefly, of what the Bible is. The Bible isn't a book; it's a it's a library. It's sixty six books of roughly forty different authors, written over a period of roughly fifteen hundred years. It's also has various types of literature, so it's a whole variety of things. Um, the reason I say this is because when it comes to science, if you see the Bible, a book in the Bible, speaking about nature. And you're trying to draw something from that. If you can find that same concept presented in another book by another author, it gives credibility to what you're trying to trying to get to. It's not just one author's way of expressing thing or one, one author's uh, use of uh, use of an analogy or something of that nature. Now, here's where I'm going to kind of walk through a minefield because I'm I'm going to get to some things that are very controversial. I want to set the, the framework. There are four views of nature. First is what's called naturalism. This is that everything in nature is from natural causes. There's no God behind it. Either God doesn't exist, or if there is a God or is a spiritual realm, it's not part of where the world and where the universe came from or what's going on in nature. Now, if you're an atheist, most likely you would also be a naturalist. There are some atheists that aren't. That's sort of a fringe, kind of a fringe segment. It's possible you can have a spiritual viewpoint, but still be a naturalist, meaning you have some sense that there's a spiritual realm, but there was no God behind creating the earth, creating the heavens, or anything like this. And that would tend to fall a lot in a lot of the ideas in the New Age camp, a sense of a spiritual spirituality from common consciousness or something of that nature. So that's why if I talk about nature, apart from any God, I don't say, well, the atheist view is this. That's too narrow. I'll use the term nat- naturalist. So that's the first term, naturalist. Uh, whatever's here, there was no God behind it, whether or not a God exists. The next one is what's called a young earth creationist. And this is that God created everything, the heavens, the earth, and everything, in six 24-hour periods of time. Good to see you, Ken. And, th- that, and that would, they usually use the genealogies in Genesis to date, to date the earth and puts the earth... A, a little over 6,000 years old. That's what's called a young earth creationist. The next is what's called an old earth creationist, is that God created everything in six long but finite periods of time, or six creation eras. And that would not have a limit to how old the earth and the heavens could be and can accommodate science's present thinking of the universe being about 14 billion years old. This is based on how you interpret the word yom. Yom is a Hebrew word for day. In Genesis, our English word for day has two literal def- definitions: the daylight hours or 24-hour cycle. The Hebrew word yom has three literal definitions: daylight hours, 24-hour cycle, or long but finite period of time. There was no other written word for era when Genesis was written, other than the word yom. So, to take <coughs> to take an old Earth view, a view that that uh, that God created everything in long periods of time is a literal interpretation of Genesis. That right there, regrettably, is a very controversial area area in a lot of Christian circles. You get people saying in some parts of the country that you cannot be a Christian unless you think that everything was made in six 24-hour periods and the earth is a a little over 6,000 years old very hard to support that scientifically. And there's a lot of people that are raised Christians that are now atheists because they've been told you can only be a Christian if you take that viewpoint. Uh, The last one is what's called theistic evolution or evolutionary creationism. This is the same as an old earth creationist until it comes to life forms. And where do life forms come about? Did God make life forms out of some type of creative process? Or did God only use evolutionary processes to to create life, and uh, ev- uh, theistic evolutionist would say God created life solely through an evolutionary process, whether that was guided or not guided. So those are the f- those are the four diff- different camps that are that are out there. Um, this deserves an hour right here. The theology behind all this deserves an hour. That's one of those minefields I minds I just stepped on. I'm gonna put that aside. If there's interest, I can do a talk on that. Um, I'm just curious, how many if there's any people here that the theological aspects of a older, older Earth versus a young Earth uh, viewpoint are kind of critical to them or pretty important? I'm just curious. Okay, a couple. So what I'll do is afterwards, let me give you. I can send you, point you to a, um, uh, some resources that kind of take a deeper dive into that. But other parts of the country, you, I would ask that question. Just about every hand's going to go up so to kind of let you know what's out there. So now what I wanted, now we're going to start, this is the background of a lot of the theology behind this, and we're going to start getting into things. Uh, I want to start with the concept of time. What is time itself? We, we kind of take our viewpoint of time as for granted, but I want to start with four aspects of time, and this is how people have thought at different times in society. First, a time is circular, and this would be, where we have our lives we, we have kids and we get older we eventually die off our kids have kids they have kids and eventually more and more generations will be born pretty soon our great grandparents will be born our grandparents will be born our parents will be born and we'll be born and we will end up back in this room the same people living this life again like we're on some continuous loop now that that viewpoint doesn't really hold a role in science. This is more of like a mythological view that life is just some big kind of circle. The next three are going to play a big role in science in the 20th century. The next is time is cyclical, not circular. An example of this is we all get older, we'll have kids, our kids will have kids, and eventually people like our grandparents will be born, people like our parents will be born, people somewhat like us will be born having a similar experience but not just like us and this would be similar to say the academic year in school you you start in school in september you kind of go to class you then you hit midterms you hit finals and you start the next semester you go through that summer vacation then you you hit your next academic year your next academic year again it's very similar it's the same structure but different materials, some of the kids are the same, some are different, but you're kind of in this cycle. This is also similar to the concept of reincarnation, okay? People sort of going through cycles, not living an identical life again, but going through another cycle. The next one, next, the last two are linear. One is that time is linear, it's not in any cycle, it's not gonna reincarnate, it's not gonna cycle around, but it's infinite, meaning every, If you could go back in time, every step you take back in time, you could always take another step. There's no wall you're going to run into. Time goes infinitely in the past and may or may not go infinitely in the future. You don't know, but no sense of there being an end. But time is linear. It doesn't cycle. it's, It's infinite. The last one is time is linear, but it's finite. Time may or may not go on forever going forward. But if you start walking back in time, you eventually get to a place where you cannot take another step, where there's a wall, where there's a beginning. Okay, so those are the four different views of time. Now, when we get in, the Bible has a very, now let's look what the Bible says on this thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The term heavens and earth is, is what's called a compound noun. They only had about 6,000 written words in Hebrew when Genesis was written and used a lot of compound nouns. When you see heavens, plural, and earth put together, that means the entirety of the physical realm. Because you look up at the heavens and the earth, that means everything. If you hear heaven, singular, and earth used, like heaven and earth, it's referring to the spiritual and the physical realm. It's referring to something different. Heavens and earth is a term to, to, is the closest expression they would have to say what we understand now is the universe. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What that's really saying is in the beginning, God created the universe. Okay, so that's what that statement is. It talks as, gives some specifics about this creation, which are different than other creation stories and other religions. Talks about a single point beginning, some type of creation event. It wasn't that some of it was created now some of it was created later yes you see the process of creation through genesis but in terms of the heavens and the earth you got this creation event it also talks uh, talks about things uh, things not not a recycling of existing material but something made fresh and new a lot of other religions talk about a god coming in and reforming what was there you don't see that in the bible talks about with the beginning it makes a statement about time time is linear but it's finite. There was a beginning to things. Okay, it makes that statement. Um, it talks. Uh, other passages in the Bible talk about God experiencing time differently than we do. You know, a day a day to us is a thousand years to us is like a day to the Lord, or those kinds of comments. Um, it also talks about a universe that was made for a purpose, and this isn't all in Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, but when we get to some other scriptures, and I um, and. Also, that it's a transcendent beginning. The universe had a transcendent beginning, meaning it was begun by a cause that is not part of itself. It was created by something that's not part of the universe. A lot of other religions view as God as part of the universe and working from within. This talks about God being separate and creating something separate. So the Bible weighs in very specifically on, on the universe. Uh, here's some uh, just some other creation texts. Hebrews 11.3 by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So again, again I'm talking about the Bible doesn't talk about God reshaping something there and making something novel. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, where the thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in all things all, all talk together so it talks about God being before things being separate from all things now how would be taking that Christian view how would that have sat with science in the early part of the 20th century like end of 1800s rolling to the 1900s at that time science had was called the steady state model of the universe and this is the idea that the universe always existed okay um, it had no beginning. If it had a beginning, it wasn't billions of years ago. It was trillions of years ago. And there's reasons they would think that. They also figured that the universe is infinitely large and nothing special about it. It's just kind of a run-of-the-mill universe. And there was no reason to speculate that there's anything beyond the universe. That's all there is. Nothing to hint that there, that there's anything beyond it. You know, philosophers and theologians can debate that. But from a scientific perspective, this is all we got and the role of science in the 20th century uh, at the beginning of the 20th century had an interesting role the beginning of our universe that's a question for the theologians and the philosophers not for science you know that's a that's a theological question in science we don't see no reason to suspect a beginning of the universe a cause for a universe if there was one if something made it that lies beyond science that's lies beyond nature that's in the supernatural. Science is to study nature. The supernatural, a cause for universe, is not part of science. This is all early 1900s thought. And if the universe did have a beginning, how would we possibly know? We can't look back in time. Or can we, as, you, as you'll see soon? So that's a scientific thought in the early, in the early 1900s. This is all fine and good. They you know, they kind of seem like everything. All the questions were answered. A couple questions like you know, if, well, if, if stars have been burning forever, why isn't the universe infinitely hot by now? You know, some of those kinds of questions they wrestled with. What they didn't understand what made stars burn. A few things like this, but pretty much it seemed all worked out. So everything was nice and happy until a couple things that happened in the early 20th century. And first thing is this Jewish patent clerk. Who happened to be named Albert Einstein had way too much time on his hands, and comes up with something called the theory of general relativity, really wacky theory. And one of the things it per- and this was this was kind of an interesting buzz. Hey, this, this fascinating theory. One of the things that this that this predicted is that light would be bent by a strong gravitational field. Okay, here's something we can possibly measure to test this to see if this guy's bizarre theory is true well how you would do that is if i'm looking at a star way out there okay that star is going to look like it's in that position however if i wait till the earth is oriented so the sun is right next to that star that sun is a massive gravitational field the light from that star should be deflected where it looks like it's over here because it's being bent from the gravity of the sun the problem with that is the sun is so extremely bright, you can't you can't see any stars behind it. The light from the sun is just overwhelming, except during a solar eclipse. Solar eclipse, the moon is just the right size to block out all the light from the sun, but not much more. So you could see stars now that are on the edge of the sun and see if they're deflected. So fantastic. Now we've got a way we can test Einstein's theory they had to wait till the next solar eclipse, which is in 1919. They sent a couple teams out. I think one was to Brazil. I figured where the other one was with some telescopes to make some very careful, 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 careful measurements. They made these measurements, see where the star looks by calculations of orbital mechanics and different things. They know where it should actually be. And lo and behold, the light from the star was deflected just like Einstein's theory predicted. Einstein's theory general relativity com- is confirmed, he's now catapulted into stardom status. And this is a really revolutionary thing. One of the things about that his theory predicted is that our universe should be expanding. This is an idea that he greatly resisted. And he actually plugged a term into his his formulas to counteract that to try and get a stable universe, which later he admits was the biggest blunder in his career. But his theory predicted, this wacky theory, which you got proves true, predicts that our universe should be expanding. The next thing that happened is the discovery of something called the redshift. I have to explain this, I want to explain what th- was called the Doppler effect. Supposing after church you're getting you're walking down the hill, you're getting you're getting ready to cross Moholland, and you got these cars, as they go zooming by, you know, and you're trying to get across without getting flattened by a Maserati, which is a real problem for the church. Can't tell you how many members we've lost because they've gotten flattened by Maseratis trying to ca- cross Mulholland. But anyhow, so be careful. The reason that car, that that car sound sounds higher pitched when it's coming to you and lower pitched when it's going away is a car. The speed that that car is traveling is significant compared to the speed of sound. And as it's coming towards you, it's compressing the sound waves. It's like it's chasing its own sound waves. As it passes you, it's effectively stretching the sound waves. And this is why I, I, I regret I can't show a slide on this um, because it's 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 um, it's kind of moving as it gives one sound wave, it moves away before it gives the next, before it gives the next, as if they're being stretched apart, and then they sound lower pitched. Similar if you if you. Being in a boat, when it's kind of going kind of slowly before it makes like a really strong wake, you can see the ripples in front of the boat seem compressed. The ones behind it kind of seem stretched out. That's the same type of thing. Well, you've all experienced that with sound. The same thing would happen with, with something with light. If you have an object giving off light that's coming towards you very fast, okay, where now it's it's getting kind of significant compared to the speed of light. And you know, it still could be a small fraction of it, but, you know, much faster than a car driving. That object would look more blue because it's compressing the light uh, as it's as it is approaching you, makes the wavelength look smaller, makes it look more in the blue spectrum. As that object passes you, it's now t- going the other way, kind of stretching the light waves. It would look more red. So scientists... Started noticing stars that they're observing locally within our galaxy, some are blue shifted, meaning they're moving towards us, some are red shifted, meaning they're, mo- they're moving away from us. However, when they look outside of our, our galaxy to distant galaxies, we're in what's called the local group of we wa- the uh, we're local group of about a dozen galaxies, Andromeda Galaxies one and a bunch of smaller ones. Within our local group, there's are some blue shifted. The Andromeda galaxy is actually going to, uh, is heading towards us, and will collide with us in several billion years. Nothing to worry about at this point. And there are other galaxies moving away. Once you get past the local group, all the distant galaxies are red shifted. Okay? means that they're moving away from us. The farther away you go, the more red shifted they are. It means that they're moving away from us faster. So if you're in a situation where everything is moving away from us, What does that mean? It means the universe is expanding, that we live in an expanding universe. Extremely radical, controversial idea. A lot of resistance to this. You know, it's bizarre. And, well, are we really interpreting the redshift correctly? Could there be something else causing it? So you've got these two things, the the relativity and redshift showing an expanding universe. If you are now to roll the clock backwards, you've got an expanding universe, that's now contracting things are coming towards you, eventually everything's going to collide and crunch together. So that what that means is our universe had a beginning. If something's expanding, it had to have a beginning. Extremely controversial idea, blatantly theological. And there is a lot of resistance to this. And one, one of the big guys that, that hung to the steady state model, a guy named Fred Hoyle, in the late 1940s, there was a discussion with astronomers debating this, and and he, you know, as a derogatory comment about this, he says, "Okay, well, wh- where did this, where did this beginning come from? Was it just some Big Bang?" Well, astronomers aren't good at naming things, and somehow that term Big Bang caught on as a name for this, and that's where we get Big Bang cosmology. It was a derogatory term for this idea, so that's what led to this idea where scientists are now grappling with the notion that the universe has a beginning. So now we've got start of the science, we had the start of the, the 20th century. We had one view of time, linear, infinite, no beginning. Now we've got three views of time on the table, people holding on to the steady state models. This Big Bang cosmology must not be right. So it's linear, infinite. Time always goes backwards. Big Bang model says linear, finite. Things have a beginning. Um, and that fits very well with Christian theology. Linear infinite is very good for naturalism because with no God, you don't need a with no beginning. You don't need a beginner or a God. The third one is cyclical, and the reason for this: if we are in this Big Bang, if everything's expand, expanding, will gravity eventually pull on it and bring it back together and cause it to collapse again? And if that happens, will it, for lack of a better word, bounce and start expanding out again? are we just in one of these expansion-contraction cycles? And they refer to that as there going to be something maybe we'll call the big crunch coming up. That fits very well with an Eastern view with a Hindu view. And I believe uh, some of the Hindu Vedas talk about the universe reincarnating in something like 3 billion years. So you can see the the philosophical and theological views to this. Well, eventually what happens is we get to um, the... In 1964, they discover something called the cosmic microwave background radiation. I don't have time to explain this what this is, but this is something predicted by Big Bang cosmology and kind of cinched the deal for, for the for the Big Bang. Later on, uh, they do some measurements to how fast. So now we're down to two. Now we get rid of the linear infinite. We have a beginning, but are we going to have a, a, a crunch cycle and it'll start over? Well they make some measurements on how fast the universe is expanding. It's expanding too fast to ever collapse again. That cyclical view goes away and we're we're left, we're left with one where the, where, the, where the universe where the universe is, ex- is had a beginning and expanding, it's not going to collapse. and that's the viewpoint we have of the universe right now. Um, the other thing I want to point out is I talked about how you can't look back in time. Well, it turns out that you can in a strange sort of way. Let's talk about listening back in time. If you guys see a lightning bolt and then you count you know one two, three, four boom and then there's a thunder. so you can kind of count how far away that lightning is by how many seconds for the sound to get to us. When you hear that clap of thunder, you're listening back in time. You're listening to something that happened five seconds ago. Well the same thing with with stars it stars travel at the speed of light it takes time for stars to get here. The closest star to us is, is Alpha Centauri, or technically Proxima Centauri, but closest significant star, Alpha Centauri, four and a half light years away. Light years, the distance light travels in a year, so that means when you look at Alpha Centauri, you're seeing what it looked like four 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 and a half years ago. When you look at the sun, I think it's about 10 minutes for the light from the sun to get us. Uh, if you look at the moon, it's a matter of two or three seconds, something like that, so by looking at distant stars, you are you are looking back in time. And we can, we can actually look back and see things that are as far away as 13 billion light years away, meaning we're seeing light that left that distant galaxy 13 billion years ago. So we can visibly see what the nature of galaxies look like in their position up to 13 billion years ago. With the Big Bang cosmology, by doing measurements on how fast everything's expanding, they're putting the beginning of the universe at 13.8 billion years ago. So in a sense, we can look back in time. And with all this, what nobody expected is that we can see a beginning. So here is now, remember when I told you what the role of the scientist was at the beginning of the 20th century? Look how it's changed. Here's the role in the uh, late in the 20th century. Before, the beginning of the universe was a question for the lo- theologians. Now the beginning of the universe is is the hot topic in astrophysics. Very studied. This is now front and center in science. The cause of our universe uh, that they realize lies beyond our universe. So dare I say that the study of our universe is studying of nature, studying for what's natural. Scientists looking for the cause of our universe, dare I see that that's technically is in the supernatural? So now what's in Beyond our nature, whether you want to call that the supernatural or something else, is one of the hottest areas of science right now, of speculation and study and theories. And scientists are aware now that, yes, we can look back in time. We're looking at distant objects, seeing how things look different. The universe hasn't been steady. It's been dynamic. The role of science, especially in physics, completely flips around. Questions that were for the theologians are now, are now front and center. So what we know now, our universe had a beginning had a creation event a universe had a creation event 13 billion years ago a transcendent beginning it was caused by something that transcends our, our universe a single point beginning and strong agreement with christianity where you would have had a hard time reconciling the christian creation account of our universe with the view of science in the in the 20th century now you've got a strong agreement you have a hard time reconciling some non-theistic explanation for all this. So that's where we're at. To take this one step further, I want to tell you how extreme of a beginning this was. You've got something called the space-time theorems of general relativity. These are some key scientists that says, I want to take Einstein's work and take it the next step. And part of their work was to look for loopholes in this physicists have been trying to get away from the our universe having a beginning for a long time. Not everybody, but have really been kicking the tires on this theory looking for ways around this. But by our best minds extending nine times rel- 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 relativity, this is what they said. Our universe had a beginning. Everything that exists now did not exist until the beginning happened. You know, all the matter. All matter and energy came into existence 13.8 billion years ago. Furthermore, space and time had their beginning then as well. To say what was here before the Big Bang doesn't make sense because there was no here. There was no space as we think of it, up, down, left, right, forward, and back. Space itself began. Time began to say what was here before the Big Bang, there wasn't really a before. You know, the way we conceive of time did not exist prior to Big Bang te- cosmology. Space and time themselves came into existence 13.8 billion years ago. Not only all the all the stuff in it. This is blatantly theological. Blatantly theological. What what's that saying? I want to clarify something with the term the Big Bang. The Big Bang isn't a ev- it's an event. It's not a thing. It's an event. It's not a thing. When I people say Well, I believe God made the universe, not the Big Bang. I realize they don't get it. The events don't make things. The the Big Bang is a name for a creation event. The Bible talks about there being a creation event. Lo lo and behold, in science, we discover our universe went through a creation event. Is it referring to the same thing? You know, I see a lot of correlation, a lot of correlation that it is. The question is, is the Big Bang is an event what caused the Big Bang? That's the question. That's the, qu- the question in science. So the other thing on the space-time theorems of general relativity is they said that this big Bang had a cause, it was caused by something that by a causal agent, quote unquote, that transcends matter, space, and time. Okay, that the beginning of our universe was caused by something that's not part of matter, not part of space, not part of time. It's something that transcends all that. Okay, so that's also glaringly, glaringly theological. So, pencils down for a second. This is the takeaway, okay, that I want you to get right now. You know, first, of, first of all, I, the Bible talks about this beginning of things, of creation event. And lo and behold, that's what we find. But if you look at science, our universe, we've got roughly hundred billion stars in our galaxy roughly what's called 250 billion galaxies plus or minus the same size and what's called the observable universe, how far we could see. And I don't try to explain what that means, but the universe probably even goes beyond that. I mean, all this stuff, okay, that's not all that there is. That's not all that there is. All this stuff came into existence by something that transcends it. And you, there are people that try to say, well, the universe came from nothing. Those conversations get very involved because what they were referring to is nothing really isn't nothing. But the majority of the saying is, what is the cause of our universe? What's beyond there? So that's a takeaway from science, okay? Um, you know, uh, 100 years ago, believing in God, oh, that's kind of ridiculous because this is all there is. No, no, we know now. There's something out there that's not part of a universe, that has all this creative potential, and what could that be? That's the key question, okay? So, that's the first takeaway. Now, for today, I want to switch gears to look at what we've learned so far and how the Bible desc- what the Bible describes about nature, and I talked about the first one. A lot of these I've covered already. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which basically means in the beginning God created the universe. I talked about those other passages about saying that God created the universe from things that didn't exist, and God was before this. Um, hold On a second, oh, uh, let, let me let me kind of on this note, uh, getting getting at actually before I get the bible says i want to kind of get to something else and i regret really regret not having the powerpoint i could show you some diagrams that would have made this easier some pretty pictures of stars but i think we'll we'll probably be okay um question is of is what is beyond the universe what made this is it something that would want us to learn about the universe something would have wanted us to discover this creation event And I want to point out that for astronomers to have discovered the redshift, discovered the Big Bang, means they need to see very distant objects in space. That is not trivial by any means. You look up at the Milky Way, you see all these stars. Most of our places in the galaxy would be too crowded by stars, would be too overwhelmed by light for us to see distant objects that are very faint. Where we exist in the Milky Way, the Milky Way is the name of our galaxy. We're kind of isolated from a lot of other stars. We're sort of in the st- in the sub- suburbs or rural a- rural area in a sense. Um, also, if we were buried inside our galaxy, any way you look, you would just be overwhelmed by other stars. You couldn't see out. We're on the edge of our galaxy. We effectively have a window seat where we can see far distances. Most of our galaxy. So it'd be kind of like like being in an office building in New York. Okay. Um, one is, first of all, you've got to be not in the middle of the office building. You've got to be by a window to look out. Um, second of all, most gal- most galaxies are crowded with other galaxies, where if you had an o- a window seat, it would be like looking at another office building. We are at a place where we're not as crowded with galaxies. Yes, we can see other galaxies. We can see the Andromeda galaxy up close. But it's also a window seat, has a view where we can look through the other buildings and see out over the ocean, the far horizon. So that's very rare. Most of our galaxy has a lot of dust in it, which would be like being in a window seat on a foggy day you can only see so far. We're at a place that's very free of dust. So the fact that we can see these distant galaxies is not trivial. It's just, is this something wanted us to be able to look that far? Is this something wanted us to be able to look far into the heavens and discover, yes, our universe did have a beginning? Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, the, decliver, the the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they have no use for words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Um, want to now talk about something else here. Let me get to my notes. Okay that our universe, we discover our universe is expanding. Nobody expected that, okay? Nobody expected that. But the first place that our universe is described as expanding, surprisingly, is in the Bible. Job 9 through 10, referring to the heavens, he being God, he alone, excuse me, Job 9, 8, he alone stretches out the heavens, Interesting, he uses the word there, stretches, not scattered. Remember I told you that the Bible is a collection of books by different authors? Well, is the author Job, was this just an analogy he used? Well, let's see what other authors in the Bible written at different times. So it's a different time in history. People would use different analogies of ways expressing things. Isaiah 42.5, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs from within it. Again, talks about stretching the heavens. The word stretching here is an active verb that simply doesn't apply that it was stretched in the past, but it has an implication that that's continuing going on. Jeremiah 10.12, but God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Zechariah, different author, different time. Zechariah 12.1, the Lord who stretches out the heavens. You don't see the Bible using the stretching language to other things. It doesn't talk about God stretching out the nation Israel across the land. It might talk about him scattering his people, which is different. As far as I know, no book, whether scientific, whether philosophical, whether religious, no other book besides the Bible, talked about the universe or the heavens expanding until the 20th century. The one exception is, a thousand years ago, Jewish rabbis reading this stuff and commenting on it said, wow, if you look at how this is is written, it sounds like the heavens are getting bigger. Other than that, no other book besides the Bible has said this until the 20th century. Okay, Um, I hope you guys are hanging in with me. I know this is not as interesting without the pretty pictures. Give me just another couple minutes. I'm going to I know I kind of stretch your mind a bit, but I will kind of give it one last big stretch here. And this is a little kind of hard to think of. Imagine I have a handful of marbles in my hand, okay? And I go over a table, and I drop the marbles onto the table. Okay, they're going to fall, and they're going to scatter. They're going to roll across the table. The marbles are going to get farther apart, not because the table's changing, but because they're rolling away from each other across the table. that seems very obvious right now let's look at another analogy take a balloon fill it up halfway take a, a marking pen put some dots on the balloon start blowing more air into it those dots are getting farther apart those dots are scattering and moving farther apart from each other not because the dots are moving on the surface of the balloon but because the fabric of the balloon the surface of the balloon is stretching. It's expanding. You see the difference? In both cases, the marbles are moving farther apart, and the dots are moving farther apart, but for very different reasons. Now, when I talked about our universe expanding and things moving away from us, okay, is is it more like the marbles? Is it more like the bloom? Well, it turns out locally things are moving within space. So locally, stars moving around are like the marbles rolling on the table. I'm traveling through space, moving over here. It's not because space is stretching me over here. However, it turns out that the expansion is mainly caused by the fabric of space itself expanding. Once you get farther away, kind of far away from our galaxy, the predominant factor is that space itself is stretching and dragging galaxies along with it. So distant galaxies that are all red sh- redshifted, yes, they might be moving a little bit through space, but the space that they're m- moving through is getting stretched, and that's what's causing them to move away from us really far. That's why when you hear physicists try and get some explanation of what the, balloon, what the Big Bang is like, they use the balloon analogy. Can I really visualize that or understand that? Not really. It's like it's like to put this in, we live in the three, three spatial dimensions. It's, it's as if our three-dimensional universe is the surface of a four-dimensional balloon that's expanding. Can I visualize that? No. Do I expect you to visualize that? No. You know, it's hard for us to think out of three dimensions. But that is really bizarre when you think about that. Very bizarre concept. How, uh, supposing I was to go back a uh, couple thousand years and I wanted to come up with an analogy for this. Well, they didn't have balloons a couple thousand years ago. They had wineskins, so you could maybe use the analogy of putting wine into a wineskin and stretching the wineskin. However, the problem with that is, is the, the balloon, you tend to think of a balloon as empty, where you want to talk about the surface, not what's inside, where wineskin has something inside of it. A um, better analogy would be a tent. Because a lot of pop, most populations were nomadic, or a lot of populations were people were very familiar with tents. You fold up a tent, you pack it up, and then you stretch out this tent and expand out the tent. You kind of think of the reality: of the tent is its surface. You kind of think of it as empty until something gets in it. So you're sort of talking about the surface. So if I had, to, if I 2,000 years ago had to go back in time and try and explain this main tenant of of the heavens. What we now call big bang cosmology—the fact that we live in an expanding universe—the best analogy I could think of two thousand years ago was a tent. Psalm one hundred four two: The Lord wraps Himself in light as a garment and stretches out the heavens like a tent. Different author, different time. Isaiah forty twenty two: He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and stretches them out, stretches and spreads them out like a tent to live in. I could, given what I know about now, about physics now, I could not think of a better analogy 2,000 years ago to try and explain what we know about the heavens at, th- at this point. So that is verse 1 of Genesis. And we'll, uh, we've got we've got uh, four more weeks of this to get through Genesis. So let me kind of turn it over to questions and comments and that kind of thing. Uh, it would be Moses. Now I, I would say Moses is maybe the compiler of Genesis because he's taken a lot of stories that preexisted him. Most of these stories, especially anything before Abraham, were all handed down kind of as, as stories passed to the community. So he's probably pulling the community and pulling it together. But that, but so he's technically viewed as the author. Anybody else? Okay, guys, yes. Yeah, it's the word yom. Yeah, now let me sort of dive into this a bit because this can be this can be a you'll depending which church you go to. I of those three categories I talked of: young earth creationist, old earth creationist, theistic evolutionist. Depending which church you go to, or which speaker you happen to get, you're, you might get a completely different view. I've fallen the old earth creation camp because I see it as the best. Y- interpretation of scripture but also scientific sciences overwhelmingly say the the earth is old it's not 6,000 years old the why i don't fit into theistic theistic evolutionary camp is there are theological issues but just from a scientific perspective i don't see evolution as a complete explanation to life Uh, definitely is contributed but that's why i fit in this camp and that's why i've got to do four weeks in evolution to kind of even give you defense why but now let's look at the older the younger the creationist thing the word for day is the hebrew word yom okay our word day it's translated day in english our word day has (coughs) has two literal definitions daylight hours or a 24-hour cycle the hebrew word yom had three literal definitions daylight hours a 24-hour cycle or a long but finite period of time and so to take an older th- interpretation of that is a literal interpretation of, of that. Um, if you want to, Genesis 1, chapter 1, is a kind of a mechanical explanation of this, the, sto- the story of, of history and life, okay? Genesis 2 is now another take on it, getting into Adam and Eve. And you look what, if you look what happens in, in Adam and Eve, all these, all these things happen in day 6, God makes all the animals. God um, creates Adam outside of the garden. God plants a a garden and allows it to grow. God moves Adam into the garden. Adam names all the animals, which is a connotation of getting to know them and and seeing are they a helpmate for me, what role do they play with me. Adam finds that he doesn't have a suitable helpmate. Adam gets lonely God creates Eve. That all happens in day six. That's not 24 hours worth of stuff. So just looking at that text was one reason why I see a longer interpretation of this. The theological issues that you're going to get into this, and just to kind of fast forward why this is a debate, if you take a young earth view, they generally hold the notion that there was no animal death prior to the fall of Adam, Okay, that the fall of Adam brought all death in, into not just human death but all death in, into the world uh, old earth creation view would say the fall of adam brought human death in but you've got millions of years of carnivorous carnivorous activity and and animal death prior to that okay that's the that's the struggle that that some people would have theologically of taking an old earth view the problem you're going to have with a young earth view if there was no animal death prior to the fall Why on earth would God make carnivores? Why would he make claws on lions? Why would he make sharks to eat eat seaweed? You know, are they going to graze on kelp? You know, these things are killing machines. Why would he make bats that have sonar to catch insects, to eat insects flying in flight? Why would he make that if there's no death? So either view you take, you've got some theological things you've got to wrestle with, so it's not a trivial question. I think, I think it's predominantly Christian. I, a neighbor of mine who's a very um, Orthodox Jew, I was talking to him and, I, and he said, well, he says his view is that Genesis is referring to God days and not human days. You want to interpret that from God, God days. The part of the reason is Hebrew is a much more figurative language and we get our no, our use of language more from the Greeks, which is much more of a specific type of language. We're trying to take a specific kind of Greek mindset and apply it to a language that was designed to be more sort of figurative. And a lot of times we, we kind of miss the signif- significance of some of that. Victor Yes, did everybody hear that? Okay, this is an, this is an interest. This is an interesting point. Um, if you think of the Big Bang as like a grenade exploding and everything scattering it out, that's a wrong way to view it. Okay, supposing we had this class a thousand years ago, and we all kind of you know took our had our yak carts hauling us in here and had a big bowl of gruel, and we've been having class. And supposing we're in a society that thought that the universe was flat. And not everybody did then. Some places thought the universe was round. Supposing we all, excuse me, not the universe, the world was flat. Supposing we thought that. And I was to say, <coughs> is it possible that I can walk, that, that, excuse me, is it possible that the universe is finite, meaning it doesn't go on forever, but I can never walk and hit an edge or hit a boundary? meaning I can never walk and get to a point where I can't walk any farther to edge your boundary, but yet the earth doesn't go on forever. That was, well, no, because if, if you can, if you're never going to hit a boundary, then the earth has to go forever. But it'd be very hard to reconcile that unless you make the conceptual jump of thinking, what if the earth is round and we're on the surface of the earth, which is wrapped around a ball? Because we're in a ball, you could never walk and hit an edge, you're never going to hit a boundary, but there's only so much surface to the Earth. If you make that conceptual jump, I see how that can happen. Now, with a universe, nobody, people don't know if it's infinite, infinite or not. Okay, that's still maybe an open question. But say if the universe is finite, say if there's only so many stars and so many galaxies out there, nobody's expecting that you would ever be able to travel and hit an edge where you're up against the edge of the universe. It can't go past it, okay? or it just sort of stops. Nobody's expecting that. However, it's possible that even though that there's no edge that the universe is finite, that would work if our three-dimensional universe is the surface of a four-dimensional sphere. And the center of it doesn't lie in our universe. It lies in the middle of this fourth-dimensional sphere. Just like the expanding balloon, there's no point on the center of the balloon that's the center of expa- expansion. The point is in the, uh, you might say the center of expansion is the middle of the balloon, which doesn't lie in the sur- surface of it. How many did I, have I lost on that? Probably most of you? Which statement? Okay, um, so that would be, hold on, let me see this one quick. Oh, no, that, that's science. That's not the scripture, that's science. Yeah, that's how, that's how science view it. So, um, well, it's the the, the the things that would be that would be that would be what well we know is continually expanding because they can do measurements and no nobody views as the expansion as having a center. It's exp- it's and I can't totally visualize this, but it's like expanding a balloon. The surface of the balloon doesn't have a center of expansion on that. The whole surface is expanding. That's just how bizarre this whole Big Bang cosmology is. Jim. Correct. 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 Yes. But if you are constrained to the surface of the balloon, But yeah, but like if you're a creature that only lived on the surface of the balloon, you could never see or travel to that center because it lies out of your two-dimensional surface. So that's the same thing as that, that. In our three-dimensional universe, if there is a central point of expansion, it doesn't really lie within our universe. I cannot visualize that at all. Nobody can. I mean, this this whole Big Bang thing is just bizarre. is just is just weird. That's one reason it got a lot of a lot of resistance. When the, when the when the theory first came out Jim well well we have a fourth dimension of time but I mean like a fourth spatial dimension see if there's a if there's a was a fourth spatial dimension uh, this is let me sort of I don't want to beat you guys to death here um, l- let me kind of wrap it up this is very thick stuff okay this first one I mean it's it's really kind of um, uh hard to wrestle with but it's important to kind of grasp the the understanding of this to realize we are living in a universe so we went through a creation event there is something else beyond our universe and how remarkable the scriptures describe things that weren't understood later on next week um we're gonna look we're gonna we, okay we talked about that there's that there's something that lies beyond the universe next week we'll look at what is that and we'll turn to science for that answer. We'll turn to science to look at what caused this, what caused this thing to create. We'll 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 take get into that. Some of the next week will be a little techie, but not overwhelming. Least so um, it'll be kind of get into some philosophy. And then after that we're done with the uh, we'll start getting into the structure of the earth and you can kind of kind of see the list. So I've got a sign-up sheet on the back. I have a weekly email I send out. If you want to be in my email list, I do it in class announcements. Sometimes we do dinner nights. We just say meet at a restaurant. So feel free to put yourself on that email list. Free CDs in the back. Feel free to grab those. And um, any, um, uh, you know, hope, hopefully I'll see you guys next week, and please spread the word on the class. So thanks.